0: Welcome to Click Treat Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Hello, so today we are going to be discussing bits and nosebands, which is kind of a controversial topic to some people, and it's something that's kind of been coming up a lot for me lately in a lot of kind of studies that I've been reading are related to this so I think it would be nice to kind of share the information because I know I've shared posts being like here are the welfare problems with bits and people are like oh I'll go bitless then and then I then post here's the welfare problems with nose bands and they're like oh well you know bitless obviously pretty much needs to have a nose band if you're using you know a bridle at all I guess you can use a neck rope or ride completely at liberty but I think you know, kind of having welfare issues with both is kind of confusing. So I think maybe we can clear up some of those things here and just kind of talk about them. I think that's a
1: good starting point. It is kind
0: of tricky because there's issues with both. Yeah, exactly. And there's, I feel like there's just a lot of studies that are kind of like replicating each other that are showing just a lot of issues with bits. Specifically, a lot of the studies are looking at oral lesions that are caused by the bit and they see them in competition horses a lot. So, I mean, I have definitely read like maybe five to 10 studies, all just kind of looking at competition horses and doing exams of their mouths and finding out that they, you know, have oral lesions. And some of them have extremely high percentage of oral lesions Like one study that I've looked at was looking at Finnish trotters that were racing and they found that 84% of them had bit lesions and these were like harness racing horses. So I think that's just like a really, really high number. And I'm sure, you know, most of the people in that situation didn't realize that their horse actually did have a mouth lesion, but, you know, being 84%, that's extremely high.
1: And it's so tricky with where the bit is placed too, because I don't think most people are looking in their horse's mouths regularly. So
0: that's something that could easily be missed. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know really all that much about how to correctly fit a bit, but they do need to be correctly fitted. It's not just like you can get any bit and just, you know, put it in there and everything's good. Like it really needs to fit properly and it should have zero to one wrinkles. You know, those are the types of things that I think a lot of people don't think about. Cause I, I didn't think about that when I used to ride with a bit, I just was like, Oh, I have this snaffle bit and I'm just gonna, you know, use it and everything's fine. I didn't think about, you know, how does it fit? And I also was told that they needed to have like two to three wrinkles, because I think a lot of kind of traditional writing does say two or three is more of the ideal of wrinkles, but that's not really what the current science is supporting. Like most vets and scientists are now seeing that, you know, it's just as effective and whatnot, and it's less harmful and puts less pressure there without, you know, having that many wrinkles. I heard the same
1: thing with the wrinkles, but one barn I was at actually said three to four, and sometimes I'd even have it worse than that, where the horse would look like they were smiling, and that's oh just, boy. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's really common, <laughs> so it's just unfortunate. Yeah, that's really not good. I mean, that doesn't surprise me, unfortunately, but it's not good, and I remember, too, when I first got Coco, I didn't really know how to, like, adjust my new, like, bridle to fit her, because... I had always just ridden lesson horses that had their bridle already put together and stuff. And so when I got her, I was like, Oh, I have this new bridle and this bit and all these things and it needs to be adjusted to fit properly. And so I just like put it on and was like, you know what, this looks right. And that is just absolutely not how you should do it. Like no matter what type of bridle you're using, whether it is a like a bridle with a bit or a bitless bridle or whatever, you really need to kind of make sure that it's fitting properly. And if you don't know have someone who does know be able to look and help you. And also remember, even if they do technically know, they may not always have the best information like your barn, who, you know, probably had a professional trainer there who thought they knew what they were doing, but was not really recommending good practices.
1: And I definitely did the same thing with Wonder when I was still riding him. I just kind of bought a bridle and a bit and was like, this is perfect.
0: (laughs) That's not really how it works. Yeah, exactly. And I think my biggest issue with BITS is just how highly misused they are. It's not even that, you know, they have such a like, you know, high potential of being misused, but it's that they like statistically are misused. I mean, there's really no arguing with that, because when you look at the data, we can see that there is a lot of pain that's being caused by them. And, you know, I'm referring to that as being a misuse of, you know, the bits causing pain and causing lesions. And I would consider that to be misuse because bits are... And I, as far as I understand, bits are kind of a tool of control, which, you know, control via traditional methods like negative reinforcement and positive punishment can definitely cause pain. But I don't think the goal with the bits is to create lesions in the mouth. So I would consider that to be a misuse, but that's definitely a really serious issue. And even when it's not causing those lesions, it still can cause a lot of discomfort. I mean, I know that there is a test that you can do yourself that sort of like replicates kind of what it would feel like to have the bit in your mouth and hold on let me pull this up so i can actually like say what the test is accurately it's called the meller pen test and basically what you do is you just kind of take a pen and you start by holding the pen in front of your mouth horizontally like the way a bit would be in front of a horse's mouth And then you open your mouth and you put the pen where your upper and lower lips meet on each side. So again, kind of like how a bit would go into a horse's mouth. And at that point, you open your mouth and you push the pen towards the back of your throat. So it's still like, you know, the sides are sticking out, but you're kind of pushing it back. And then you roll your bottom lip down and locate the the pen on your gum. And then you can release your lip and apply compressive pressure. So I know that sounds really confusing, probably, but there's diagrams of it that show how to do it better. And I have a diagram of it on my account. So, you know, if you're interested in seeing it, it's on there. And this is kind of a way of you being able to feel, you know, what does it feel like to have something in your mouth that is being designed to inflict that kind of pressure for control? It doesn't feel pleasant. So, you know, even if it's not creating any type of actual physical tissue damage, which, you know, it is, but even in cases where it's not, it's still causing that discomfort.
1: And I think a lot of people forget that horses are sensitive because they're so large, but based on what we know about horses and their layers of skin, the epidermis is thinner, which we've talked about before, and they also have more nerves visible. So there's actually a good chance that they might be more sensitive to pain and discomfort than we are.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And I think that, you know, that's a very important thing to remember is that they are also prey animals, which means that they are pretty sensitive to those types of things like pain and discomfort. I mean, their their natural response is typically going to be to flee from those type of things. And that is kind of what a lot of traditional training captures by using negative reinforcement, kind of wanting the horse to move away from pressure. But on the other hand, like I think what we are trying to advocate for is people building a relationship with their horse. That's not about the horse trying to get kind of like away from you. So we are kind of wanting to say, Hey, maybe something that's causing this discomfort that you can ride without clearly lots of people ride bitless. If there's a way that we can do that without having any issues, why would we not do that? And I don't think, you know, everybody who uses a bit is a awful person or anything like that. Like we've both used bits before and I know people who still currently use bits and I know horses that, you know, go pretty well and appear to not look too, like too stressed in a bit, but it's still overall a big kind of general welfare issue on a very large scale. I think.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I do see people who use bits and their horses don't look really uncomfortable at all. There's people that even do clicker training who still use bits. But for me personally, I would rather not use a tool that has any potential to be
0: aversive because it just, it's not something I want in my training if avoidable. Exactly. And I think that also sort of brings up something that a lot of people say in response to, you know, people bringing up that bits are potentially harmful they'll say, well, I see horses that are just distressed in a bitless bridle. And I want to make it really clear that I completely agree with that. And I agree that I see lots of horses that look very stressed in a bitless bridle. And some of them even look more stressed than horses in bits. And so the problem here isn't just bits. Bits are a problem, but there's also a lot of aversive equipment that can be used and it can even be used bitless. So I think that's kind of why we want to talk about both bits and nose bands because there's still kind of this issue even without the bit that it's there still could be kind of some harmful pressure happening you know we don't necessarily mean this to just be like a super anti bits episode, although neither of us use bits and neither of us really would recommend using a bit, but well, sorry to speak for you, but I would assume that you no, would you're not. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I think we just kind of, yeah, I want to share some of the information about that there. It's definitely like a nuanced issue. It's not just like, oh, if you use a bit, you're evil. And if you ride bitless, you are an angel. It's like, no, there's actually a lot of bitless people who maybe have more stressed horses than bits, but that doesn't necessarily need to detract from the issue with bits because they're kind of just both a problem. Yeah,
1: for sure. And I think a big problem too is how we're using those tools. Like you said before with bits, the same is true with bitless. If you're teaching the horse how to respond to rain cues or commands with pressure and you're using negative reinforcement, even if that equipment fits nicely and isn't uncomfortable to the horse through that training, they might build negative associations and
0: therefore be uncomfortable, scared or stressed while wearing that bridle. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, there are lots of studies showing that nose bands with sustained pressure can cause a very serious slew of issues in horses. And they can actually cause lesions as well on the nasal bones and mandibles of the horses. So, you know, a lot of horses have lesions on their nasal bones and mandibles and also have them in their mouths from the bit because a lot of bridles involve you know, a a bit, as well as a very tight noseband. And I think the thing with nosebands is that the main issue there is it being extremely tight and having like a lot of sustained pressure. So I think a good way that we can try to kind of reduce that negative impact is to, well, obviously be very careful of the sustained pressure that we're using. If we're going to use these tools, we don't want to be, you know, just putting crazy amounts of pressure on and not releasing since, if you do train with negative reinforcement, the horse is going to learn from the release and negative reinforcement, not from you adding the pressure. And I would not recommend using a, you know, bridle and reins to be doing positive punishment if possible. That's not really a Good training tool. So definitely, you know, be very intentional with the release. Make sure you have good release and you're not sustaining that pressure. And then also keep the nose band as loose as you can. You know, make sure you can put at least two fingers between the horse's nose and the actual nose band. You know, whether it's a bitted bridle or a bitless bridle, that's very important. Just to make sure that there's not that sustained pressure. And that will help with a lot of the bit issues too. Although I don't think it'll be as effective as it is with the nose bands, since bits have it's not necessarily the sustained pressure that's causing that issue. It this, you know, sustained pressure can cause that issue with bits, but it's also just, you know, even an a short pressure could cause a lesion from a bit. And it's really tricky too with both types of
1: bridles because there's just a huge variety of different kinds. Like you have the Dr. Cooks where it's the cross under and their side pulls, and then there's
0: so many different kinds of bits, I can't even name them all. So that makes it more complicated and nuanced too. For sure. And I mean, definitely not all bits are created equal and not all bitless bridles are created equal. I mean, that's obvious, but definitely, you know, if you do use a bit, making sure that you can use a really soft, simple snaffle or something like that. I believe rubber is a pretty good material because it's kind of smooth in the mouth, but I could be wrong on that because I don't know a ton about bits. But yeah, definitely a simple snaffle is ideal if you do have to use one or if you do choose to use one. And if you do use a bit, another recommendation that I would make is to not use a noseband if possible. I know sometimes they just look really nice or they can be required for competitions and things like that. But they aren't really necessary with a bit because the bit is kind of handling the like mechanical aspects of control and the cues that you're trying to give to the horse via negative reinforcement so that the noseband's not really necessary if the bridle fits well. But I think they do make somebody actually... DM'd me about this and I forgot what it was, but I think they do make like decorative nosebands that are just totally decorative. They don't have any actual like impact on how the bridle works or how the bridle fits. You just kind of attach it and it just like sits on there. I can see if I can find that and link it there because someone shared it with me. But yeah, so I think that is another recommendation that I would give. But yeah, I mean, really just the equipment is not all equal and there are definitely certain types of bitless bridles too that are much better than others.
1: I really like that idea of the decorative noseband because really they should just be there for aesthetic purposes, anyways. So that's a really cool idea.
0: Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, I don't even know why you would need a noseband. I know that some people would use it to keep the bit in place or to keep the horse from opening their mouth, but we shouldn't be using equipment to have to do that. I mean, if the bridle is fitting properly, it should not need the noseband to keep the bit in place. I mean, the bit should be doing its job you know, as it is. And also, you know, if the horse is opening its mouth, that is an issue with the equipment that we need to really look into, not just, you know, put another piece of equipment on there to keep the mouth shut. That nose band, if it's holding the bit in place, really just kind of becomes
1: a band-aid to a much bigger issue.
0: Yes, I agree. And then I guess going into like types of bitless bridles, I think the ideal bitless bridle that I would recommend would just be a very simple side pull because it has pretty much no leverage and it's, you know, generally very just kind of simple and it doesn't really, it doesn't really have like high amounts of pressure being put on any one point of the face. It's kind of able to distribute the pressure a little bit better And because it doesn't have leverage, that is also a plus in my opinion, because you're not getting as much pressure. And so I think in terms of all of the options out there, like bitless or fitted, that would be my recommendation. But side pulls definitely can still cause pressure on the nose band if you're putting it on too tight and you're putting too much sustained pressure. So, you know, definitely don't think just because you're writing bitless, you can just pull really hard and. You don't need to release or anything like that. It's still working via the pressure, and you still need the release and to not, you know, put too much pressure there.
1: I really like side pulls too. That's actually what I have for both my horses. And they're pretty nice because they kind of just fit like a normal halter. So the horses are pretty comfortable with it right off the bat. Pharaoh isn't so much, but I don't think he really likes anything on his face. So that's a whole separate issue. (laughs) But with Wonder, he's totally cool with it. And again, a lot of it comes down to how you train it too, because the way I'm teaching rain cues is like presenting a target. They turn their head, they get a click and treat. And then eventually I'm adding the sight of the rain lifting. And there might be a tiny bit of pressure on there acting as a tactile cue. But again, it's not like pulling the head and then releasing when they actually give to it. So a lot of that is training too. And even a side pull can be misused.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that's definitely the way of teaching it that I would also recommend is doing it that way via positive reinforcement and not having it be, you know, pressure based at all, except for maybe, you know, a tiny bit of tactile cue that could potentially be interpreted as pressure. But really, it's more of a tactile cue since the behavior itself was taught with positive reinforcement and the tiny amount of pressure from the tactile cue is not maintaining or shaping the behavior or anything at all. So I think that is a really good way of teaching it and making sure that, you know, the horse is able to actually do the behavior without even having that bridle on at all first, and then kind of working up to having it look a bit more traditional with the bridle being added and whatnot, and the tactile cues being added. So, I mean, I think that's what we would recommend. Obviously not everybody does things via positive reinforcement and. So, you know, that's understandable, but obviously we are a positive reinforcement podcast. So (laughs) that is what we would recommend.
1: I mean, I do think most people listening probably do do positive (laughs) reinforcements.
0: Yeah, I would hope so. Although I do see a lot of people who do positive reinforcement a lot, but they still ride with traditional sort of training. So you never know, but hopefully our listener base does do positive reinforcement. <laughs> if not, I don't know why they would listen to us, but <laughs> yeah, they'd probably get boring if they didn't even like it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I completely agree. I think, yeah, they hopefully do, but yeah, definitely. I think a bridal should be, you know, more of just a almost a decorative thing or just like a choice of what type of cue you want to use. You shouldn't be relying on a piece of equipment to get a behavior to happen from positive reinforcement. Obviously, you know, we would train that at Liberty first. So doing that type of training does reduce a lot of the risk of it being harmful since you are, you know, getting the horse to do the behavior at Liberty without any equipment or pressure and just getting their snacks. So that will kind of help them be comfortable with it and slowly get used to it when you do introduce it. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot of studies on. I see them all. (laughs) Yeah, as you can see, I have 45 pages here (laughs) of a lot of stuff and I, you know, add to this thing every day. But yeah, I mean, I think there's just really a lot of studies out there. It's really hard to kind of go over all of them. But, you know, really just the important information to know is that in pretty much all of them, there is super, super high number of horses that do have the lesions. And, you know, most of them don't actually have any visible, you know, just from the outside visible signs, they're not bleeding, they don't have like a giant cut or something. But vets can tell when they're really looking in the mouth and seeing what's going on. So, you know, just because, you don't see kind of a issue with the bit that doesn't mean that there's not an issue happening and there are also certain factors that can make a horse more likely to have those type of lesions and you know I I'm not necessarily saying that I can you know definitively say it's causation that the horse being from that demographic causes them to be more likely I mean if if anything it's probably definitely not that it's probably that you know, certain demographics are more likely to be treated harshly. And then that leads to them being more likely to have the lesions in their mouth. Like a lot of studies show that stallions are more likely and that ponies can be more likely than larger sized horses. Certain disciplines can also be more likely than others. So I think Really just kind of being extremely careful of it, even if you don't see pain. I think videoing yourself riding and being able to see what the horse is looking like when you're riding is really helpful because, you know, we can't really see what their face is looking like when we're riding. So being able to see if they look stressed or, you know, having a pain face or something like that, I think that would really help. Yeah, I don't really know exactly where else to go. I mean, we could just keep this pretty short and just kind of say like, yes, there are welfare issues with bits. There are also welfare issues with nose bands, but kind of all things considered, our recommendation to do the least damage would be to use a simple side pole. Ideally, start by shaping the steering behaviors at Liberty from the ground with positive reinforcement and then kind of add a side pull in as a tactile cue if you want your writing to look more traditional. I mean, I think that's kind of just the point that I would want to make here.
1: Yeah, basically, to sum it up in like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are also bridleless options. I don't know of very many. I have the unbridled guide, and that's what I usually use to teach directional cues, but, or I guess I add it onto my cues after they're taught, but then I change it to using that. And I really like that because it's just like a big ring and the way you hold it when you're riding, it's not touching the horse's neck at all. It's just kind of around them. And then you move it to apply pressure or tactile cues to ask for the behavior you're looking for. So really then there's no pressure on the horse's head or neck at all until you put it there.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. And I've never heard of that. So that makes sense. It does remind me a bit of a neck rope, though, obviously, different thing. And you know, I think a neck rope could be a good option. Although I'm sure you can also cause discomfort with a neck rope, (laughs) if you're really putting a lot of pressure on it. I think another option could be I'm just like making this up. I don't even know if this would work. But I really feel like you could just train a verbal cue or something for moving forward or something like that. And then If you like, I have an extremely long target stick, but also it doesn't even need to be that long because they have really good vision sort of like behind into the side of them so they can see, you know, if you're holding stuff up or whatever. But I almost feel like I could just put the target out a little bit to the left as like a turn left cue, put the target out a little bit to the right as a turn right cue. I mean, it might be sloppy, but I feel like, you know, those type of tools that we're already using on the ground if they're, if they can be transferred to the saddle, it might work even just as kind of a starting thing that you can then transfer to a more useful cue later. I actually did try that with Nathan one time. (laughs) did it work. (laughs) Yeah, it did. So
1: I put him on Wonder. He just had his uh, neck ring thing, neck rope, whatever you want to call it. And he just held on to it. He wasn't touching it or moving it around or anything really just like holding it stationary. I gave him the target and I was really concerned that he would think it was a whip at first because Wonder was written traditionally, but thankfully mm. he didn't. So he was actually able to follow it and like actually did left and right turns. So I mean, nice. that is something you could do too. It might look a little weird if you are trying to go for traditional writing, but it is a really good idea and it's fun too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that could work. I mean, it is kind of limiting in the sense that if the horse is really following the target, you're only getting turns and you're not really getting like a straight or a back. So you'd have to make sure you have some of those other things on different cues. But yeah, definitely that could be an option. Or, you know, it might be worth addressing here. You don't have to ride your horse. I mean, obviously, like if you want to ride your horse, you should, but A lot of people don't ride their horse and you know, that also completely removes the need for any of this equipment. Even if you are more of a traditional person and you don't know how to train things with positive reinforcement yet, you can also take a break from riding and learn new ways of training things and then come back to it later. So if you kind of worry that equipment you're using is harmful, you can always kind of have that boundary of like, oh, I'm just gonna take a break from this, do some looking into and research into what could be better and yeah so I mean I would say just don't feel pressured to use like a certain piece of equipment just because it's the norm I mean in things like shows sometimes they will require you to use a bit and hopefully those rules will change but also it's perfectly okay to say I don't feel comfortable showing because that's not the equipment I want to use on my horse I mean that's what I would personally do in that situation but it's also okay to say oh I really want to you know make this work so i'm going to figure out what equipment i can use that's the least harmful but yeah i just want to throw that out there because i think riding can be very kind of over hyped and so i just want to make sure to say it's okay if you just want to not ride at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i
1: mean i don't really do much at all i'd like to but it's not like a huge priority to me so there's nothing wrong with also just being on the ground with your horse and that can be just as fun
0: yeah Very true. I mean, I don't really ride either. I've sat on Wren like twice, (laughs) but my other two ponies are too small. So that, you know, they're always just going to be hanging out on the ground ponies. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's mostly all that I have. If anybody is interested in more studies about, you know, bits and mouth lesions or nose bands and nose and mandible lesions, I can definitely share those. And I have some of them posted on my Instagram as well. So you can also Google it. There's a lot of information out there. So yeah, I would definitely say just try to read that information, especially if you do choose to use a bit or a noseband. band, definitely be knowledgeable about what you're using and, you know, read those studies for yourself if possible.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's always good to know what you're using before you're using it and to actually make educated decisions rather than just jumping onto whatever your trainer or barn owner or even just a horse friend recommends to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.